Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in the Bay Area, it's time for Bay Area Business Radio. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Bay Area Business Radio. But before we get started, it's important to recognize our sponsor, Leah Davis Coaching, inspiring women of color to claim their wealth legacy. Today on Bay Area Business Radio, we have Kristen Hull with Nia Impact Capital. Welcome, Kristen. Hello. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, I'm excited to learn what you're up to. Uh, Tell us about Nia Impact Capital. Okay, great. I will. So NIA means intention and purpose, and we are looking to invest with intention and purpose into those companies that are needed for people and planet to not only survive, but to thrive together. And part of our purpose is also to change the face of finance. So we really look to empower, um, hire and train young women and people of color and bring them into sustainable investing. So how'd you get into this line of work? Well, thank you for asking. I definitely don't have the traditional portfolio management background. I actually um, grew up in the finance industry as my dad started a trading firm in my garage when I was growing up. So I have been talking puts and calls and pork bellies and commodities, futures and options since I was about 14 and really understood the power of the financial markets um, and harnessing the financial markets for financial gain. And yet, I really wanted to see if we could harness these same markets for social and environmental gains as well and to empower investors. And so bringing that sense of purpose, I realized that we were missing a really transparent, easy to understand way to get involved in investing. And no one was working on it the way we thought it needed to happen. So we are that portfolio and that kind of, I was driven um, from an educational background and then from this early entry into the financial industry to how could we think about um, doing this a little bit differently? And that's what Nia's doing. Now, did some event happen or was there a catalyst for you to kind of, I, I don't want to say pivot, but maybe just kind of tweak what you were doing to really start serving this underserved uh, group? There was, there were a few things kind of where the light bulb went off and it was, so we sold that company to Goldman Sachs and in the years after that, uh, started a family foundation. And in the process of investing that foundation, I actually went to a conference and there was a session called the 2%. And I knew I didn't know what that was. So I wandered in and there were some of the large foundations. I want to say it was Ford and maybe some others, uh, somewhat politely discussing, although the conversation got really heated about whether their endowments could be invested 2% of their endowments toward their mission. And I, of course, thought, wow, if it could be 2%, it actually can be 100%. And so it's really time to do that. And so worked on the first 100% invested portfolio, um, and then went on to do the second one, which was NIA Community investments in 2010 um, and saw that the world really wasn't following on as quickly as I thought it needed to happen. And so really wanted to make sure that there was a way, you know, again, transparent and easy way to do this. And so really choosing companies in public markets where we could have daily liquidity and lots of transparency into the process. And so it was a little bit of a journey to say, okay, this is what's needed. And then getting to work, starting on that. We then came up with 
our solution themes, which is really the whole premise for our investments and working on the six solution themes about, again, what is needed for people and planet, and then what will the market reward for, and then backing into choosing companies along our solution themes, as opposed to trying to mirror a benchmark or something in the standard industry. Now, do you find that that's kind of one of these traps that maybe people are choosing metrics that really don't matter um, they matter to some people, but maybe if you pick different metrics that matter, then you're going to have a different outcome and then maybe you'll have a bigger impact. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as you know, we uh, measure, you know, if we can measure what matters, you know, that that's really what's going to be important. And with all due respect to uh, the men that were working on this many, many years ago in modern portfolio theory, we really need to update our financial theories. And so the indexing, which is quite common today, came out of this idea that we needed to diversify. And yet, putting 500 companies or 3000 companies into one index um, really can be problematic. You know, there aren't many advisors, if any, that could tell you all of the 500 companies in the S&P, much less the 3000 in the Russell index or the over 8000 in the Miski. Uh, so thinking about really pulling this back and really just diversifying to what makes sense for a diversified portfolio and not really going overboard. The other part um, I think that would need to change as far as how we're thinking about building portfolios is, um, you know, currently it's based on size. So when you think of the S&P, those are our 500, largely the largest companies in the U.S., um, and yet size really doesn't matter. It's uh, what are the products and services and can this team get that done is really more of the questions that we need to be asking. Um, also domicile. Um, I find it very arbitrary that we would have a U.S. index versus uh, an international that means non-U.S. Uh, and what does that mean? And could we be investing across borders for the best portfolio construction? So now how does the incorporating of gender and racial equity come into play here? Does that um, kind of mean better returns or do you find that people have just been uh, kind of giving a blind eye to these groups? Like why was that um, so important in your model? So for us, it really came from the research about diversity and diverse teams. And so diverse teams um, have been found to perform and make better decisions up to 87% of the time. Diverse teams are also attributed to more innovation. And when we're seeking to invest in companies um, that are going to continue innovating, we want to make sure that they are really well prepared to do that. It also happens to be the right thing to do. You know, the um, the economy, in particular, our financial sector, is um, you know very very white male driven, and that worked for a certain group for some time. And yet, currently, um, women and people of color in asset management, we make up combined, um, we make up one point three percent of those making the decisions for the seventy trillion in asset management. So, one way to actually think of diversifying a portfolio is really thinking about who are your asset managers and directing perhaps more of um, the assets to women and people of color because um, research is showing that we're actually outperforming our male counterparts. So that has been interesting. And then how we think about investing, we're actually um, one of the very first companies to be gen certified, gender equity now. And we went through a very rigorous 
um, program and evaluation to get that certification. And along the way, we learned, I would say, close to 100 awesome and fun facts about what practices companies can use that lead to gender equality. And so we use that training both in building our own firm um, also as a lens in ways that we look at our companies. And so, of course, starting at the top, uh, you know, our boards and executive management's diverse, um, but also our nominating committees really seeing that diversity matters and that um, inclusiveness can actually be a business driver and a revenue driver, um, all the way to middle management, um, all the way down to, you know, hiring where we're recruiting um, and also how we're doing promotions. We also use a gender and an eye for racial equity when thinking about products and services needed for those two groups that are often overlooked. Now, when you're doing this kind of work, um, are you working primarily with the larger companies or do you do any work with maybe incubating some of these smaller uh, woman-led or more diverse uh, startups or, um, you know, kind of high growth companies that are maybe haven't reached the level yet to be publicly traded, but are on their way or have potential to be? We do. We actually work on both sides. And so the NIA Global Solutions portfolio that is available um, for clients, is, that includes all publicly traded companies. We also have another side of our firm that does work on some really early stage incubating, particularly for women and people of color led businesses. Now, um, to me, uh, we do a lot of work in that area in terms of spotlighting those firms. And I don't know, uh, I believe this is true, that there's only, I think, around 2% of women-led firms make it to a million-dollar annual recurring. Does that sound about possible, possibly correct? Um, I'm sorry, I didn't get that. Um, um, I, I've heard that less than 2% of women-led companies uh, end up in, in companies that are... Um, that have a, over a million dollars in annual recurring sales. Oh, absolutely. So women and people of color are really the ones that that term bootstrapping. We do most of our own self-financing. Um, both there's something about uh, risk taking. There's also something about just being completely overlooked for investment. So um, many I think the, some of the reasons that is, is, is because we don't get early stage investments. And in doing some of the trainings we do for some of the venture firms, they actually cite, well, we would invest in women, except who's going to do the follow on rounds if we do them. And so the bias in the industry is pretty transparent at this point. Um, uh, while it may be unconscious, it, we're actually seeing it in the numbers. Um, and that, of course, moves from very early stage um, to all the way up through publicly traded companies. And what we definitely know is that talent is um, distributed equally. The financing to grow that talent and those ideas is not. And so that's something that we're definitely working on. And that, I, I see that as just a place for so much potential. It, it, it kind of boggles the mind. When I first heard that statistic, I couldn't believe that it was true. It seems so impossible, impossibly low. Um, but 
It's definitely impossibly low. It's impossibly low. Like that's not a research error. And the fact that those numbers really haven't changed in decades um, says a lot about our industry. And also that we're, you know, as I mentioned before, we're really leaving talent on the table, you know, there, the, and uh, there's quite a bit of returns and some alpha to be had by investing in these groups that are being overlooked, you know, so, it, so it's, a definitely could become an investment advantage point to look at these groups. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's just too bad. It's a little bit embarrassing to say that this is the, the climate and the industry we're working in. And I'll just say from my perspective as a portfolio manager in Oakland, California, I really, for many years, you know, I knew the numbers were low. Um, and yet, because I'm out in California, I thought for sure all the cool and awesome women in portfolio management were hanging out together in Boston or New York. Uh, and it turns out there's just so few of us, so very few of us. So we're working to change that. And especially when there's so much research to say that that this is, it's not just, you're not giving charity. Like, like this is a place where good investments live. So start investing in them. It, I, I mean, it just, it doesn't make sense to me because for folks that are so kind of um, numbers oriented, to ignore so many numbers in order to justify not making the investment, it, it just boggles the mind. It really does. It really does. And so we'll see if some of the events of the last year, you know, particularly with the racial disparities, the racial violence, um, will some of these things be lifted when we're thinking about people of color led ventures. Um, and then of course, uh, you know, the women really need to get in there as well. So can we do that together um, and increase these numbers? Because I do believe that when we have more diverse, uh, you know, decision makers at our, the tables in our economy, we're going to be, do better. And that just means because we're going to have more balance and more ideas. And by bringing more people to the table, in investment and um, decision-making places, we can eliminate some of the biases that exist. Right. And still have good returns. Like these aren't, you're not making a sacrifice in order to do this. You just have to be open-minded enough to do this. Well, actually, you know, I do think sometimes that maybe I need to send a man out with our numbers to represent the portfolio because the returns really are extraordinary, particularly. Um, so we're in our sixth year of track record and it's really remarkable um, this investing at the intersection of environmental sustainability and social justice um, does have some significant alpha behind it. Um, and yet I think there is bias about, um, you know, investing in what Nia is doing. So we'll see if some of that doesn't change um, because we certainly are not leaving returns behind. Right. That's the part that I don't understand. Like for an industry that's so, you know, focused on returns <laughs> to ignore things that have good returns. I, it just doesn't make sense. It's like, you know, in sports, you, you're not kind of picking certain people because of um, their race. Uh, you're picking them because they're the best at what they do. So like it, it's, you know, it's uh meritocracy, but for some reason they're not kind of um, abiding by that same thinking when it comes to this. No, I would definitely say in most things in the United States, particularly in financial management, meritocracy really is a myth. It really is. Um, 
And I would love to think that we get places on our own merit. Um, and, you know, in this case, being based on uh, and measured on financial returns, as well as our social and environmental returns would be lovely because we are knocking it out of the park. And yet that is not how our financial industry works at this time. So you'll go to people and show them your returns and then they've invested in things with worse returns and they look at you and say, no, we're not interested. Like what's their rationale for, for well, not? You know, there's something that's happening right now. Um, and it's really interesting to see how our nation and our mindset will deal with this. Um, it's perfectly fine to lose money if you're invested in, quote unquote, the market or an index fund or the status quo. And yet if you do anything that's not quite that, you know, an impact investment or invest in a woman or something, you could be judged later. Uh, for <laughs> if you were to lose money. So there's quite a bit of um, people being what I would say risk averse at their own expense and to the expense of an evolving market. Right. And so like you're not going to get fired for investing in the market, but you're saying that you might get fired for investing in something like this that doesn't pay out. That is definitely the fear. That is what, and that is, um, so can we change that mantra to, um, I mean, and then just the truth of it is newer, lesser known managers actually have to work harder. That's just the way it is. Women and people of color in this industry have to work harder. And so knowing that not only, you know, we're here for a reason and we're here probably because we've got some really interesting ideas. And, um, and I think there's research that first time fund managers work harder um, and that they actually have better returns. So um, it maybe this will be the year where some minds turn and that um, people have better returns because they are looking at some newer ideas. Well, it just seems ironic because in a, in an industry that is a high risk industry and you have proven returns and to turn a blind eye because of a bias, whether it's unconscious or conscious, it just doesn't compute for me, but um, I'm glad you're well, fighting the good fight <laughs> in this uh, and and really questioning the status quo, because that's going to be our job, particularly those who are saving for retirement and those who are um, or, or those that are, you know, wanting to invest with their values. And, and, you know, we're really seeing that we do get the economy that we invest into. And so unless we're going to shift our investments, we're really not going to be able to shift our economy towards sustainability and inclusivity. So of course, Nia is here to help people make, you know, an easy transition into a sustainable and inclusive economy with their investments. Right. Which is the real economy. Like there's not like the economy doesn't not include women and, um, you know, people of different races, like <laughs> that's what the economy is about. So that the yours is a truer picture of the economy. Um, I would hope so. I would hope that that's what we're moving towards. And so maybe we'll start measuring from those, uh, benchmarks would be lovely. Yes. So now, um, being a woman in this field, like you said, I guess in, um, in Northern California, I guess there's a more of you there. So you would th have thought that there's more of you elsewhere and that's just not the case. Has that been um, like, that's just the way it is, right? I mean, there's nothing you can do about it except keep doing good work. 
there's, well, I mean, there are things we can do about it. I mean, as soon as we're seen as an additive, as opposed to, a, you know, something to be questioned, uh, you know, that will be helpful. And then we do have a change the face of finance internship program where we're trying to bring in and train more young people and people of color, um, particularly women to get into this um, industry. And honestly, having the impact edge that we have and having this real ability to look at sustainability um, is attracting more women and people of color because we aren't basing decisions on size um, or on domicile. We're really basing them on what are the key products and services that these companies are offering and how are they seeing their employees? You know, are they seeing them as on the expense side of the balance sheet, something that literally is a detractor or an expense, or are they seeing them on the asset side where employees are something to be invested into? And of course, during COVID times in this pandemic, we're seeing that those companies that did value employees are doing really well. So um, it's that sense and the way we look at companies is an attractor for bringing more women into the industry. Now, do you have any theories, like you grew up, I guess, in thinking about finance, at least in your house, um, at, at some point, I guess women, uh, when they're at a fork in the road, they choose not to get involved in finance or in some of the technologies. Do you have any theories of why that is? I do. And we're actually seeing that play out in our own firm. We, we actually have, um, you know, quite a few young women come in and we'll do a pre-survey and a post-survey. So pre-NIA and then post-NIA. And what we're seeing pretty consistently in the exit interviews, whether they decide to go into finance or not, what they have learned at NIA, um, you know, probably pre-NIA, they were thinking they would go into nonprofit work because of their values. And they leave NIA knowing that they can go into business and bring their values with them. And I think showing more examples of how we can do business with values is going to be more and more important. Yeah, I think that's critical for, you know, our economy, our democracy and capitalism but to get that message across. I mean, exactly, exactly. And my hope is that some of the events as tragic as they have been for um, this last year across climate, across the pandemic, across racial disparities and violence uh, that bringing values into business. Um, we're also seeing that the government can't do everything and won't do everything. And so um, business has a really big role to play. So we're actually calling on every one of our CEOs to, for example, with Black Lives Matter, about 50% of the CEOs did make an open statement about Black Lives Matter. And we engage with every one of our companies. And so um, it went one of two ways. We, we asked them, you know, we noticed that you made a statement on Black Lives Matter. What are you doing internally in your own organization as well as in your community to show that Black Lives Matter? And then on the reverse side, if we didn't see a statement, oftentimes they had put it on LinkedIn and we missed it. And we're like, actually, this needs to go on your website where, where people can see it and find it um, and where it can help with your recruitment process. Um, but we also said, you know, if you didn't make a statement, what are you doing both internally to show um, and then also in your community to show that Black Lives Matter? And so this is a time where, um, you know, asset managers and investors can hold companies responsible and then companies, um, you know, throughout our economy can step up to the plate and really make a difference. Well, Kristen, you're doing such important work. Uh, we really appreciate you. What is it we can be doing for you? How can we help you on this uh, journey you're on? 
Oh, well, I'm excited for this. Thank you so much. And just thank you for engaging in this conversation and in these important questions about uh, particularly challenging the status quo and helping us all move beyond that where our economy needs to go. We can be reached on our website. Of course, we'll welcome any inquiries. And then we're looking to launch a mutual fund in May where we'll be more available to more people. So we're excited about that as well. And that website is neaimpactcapital.com. Yes, it is. Well, Kristen, thank you again for sharing your story. And thank you for having me. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We will see you all next time on Bay Area Business Radio. 